So many, uh, many of you know that was Miranda Lambert trying to uh, go back to her house of origin to find out who she was. Uh, anybody ever go back to their place where they grew up? Now, some of you grew up here, but ever go back and, and find out things that you, you tried to discover who you were or where you, come, you came from? It, it's interesting how often we are what we experienced when we were, we were kids, when we were growing up. Uh, if we came from a controlling household, uh, what's our tendency? Our tendency is to control our own household, right? If we came from an angry household, we, we tend to have inherited some, some anger tendencies and complaining and whining. And, you know, I'm not saying any of your families were that way, but some, some certainly are. But on the other hand, if we were, came from a happy household, an encouraging place, that we, we tend to carry that on. And so I, I, just, I just wanted to, uh, to just welcome everybody here to this series, as Kevin already has done, but th this, this can really be a change in, in your whole attitude toward life. If you, if you listen to what we're going to talk about in these next four weeks, uh, as Kevin said, I'm, I'm Bill Malott, I'm the executive pastor here, and I'm, I'm really glad you joined us today, and I, I hope that that you will enjoy what we're going to talk about, but I have, I have a few questions for you as we get started. Just, just some things to get your brain engaged, and we're going to talk a little bit about your brain later on. Uh, but the first question I have for you is, how do you think, how do you think you formed the opinion you now have about yourself? Just, just kind of think about that a second. Secondly, how do you decide what you can and can't do in life? Where do you get that from? Thirdly, how do you measure? How do you measure value in others and in yourself? We all have different ways of doing that. And fourthly, do you ever hear little voices in your, in your brain about what you think of yourself, that tell you what to think of yourself? When, when you want to believe one thing and you have another little voice saying, no, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Well, the topic formed, as Kevin alluded to, it's, it's talking about how our past experiences have influenced what we are today and how we look to our lives today. But let me, let me just tell you as we begin, God, and this is a premise that's going to go throughout the four weeks of, of, this, of this series, God has a different view of us than the world does. And I just... If I could just get everybody here to believe that, we would, we would be better off as we listen to this. God has a different view. Even our parents and our family who loved us, God loves us more. And he has a different view than they do. He wants us to trust in him and in his strength and not rely on ourselves to do whatever, whatever we want to do. Now, I hope that none of you heard this statement that I'm about to make. I hope you never heard this in your life. You'll never amount to anything. I hope you've never heard that from a loved one, from a parent or a brother or a sister. I hope that you haven't. But I know that there are, in this a room this size, I know there's some people who have heard that. I also hope you've never heard that you can do anything you want if you just put your mind to it and believe in yourself. I hope you haven't heard that because both those statements are flawed. 
Both of those statements have some problems with it. The second one's a little better than the first, but if we rely on our own strength or if we believe that we can't do anything, then we are, we are going to be frustrated, we're going to be disappointed because we can't do anything we want on ourselves, by ourselves. We have to, we have to trust and rely on God. Now, my experience, uh, as, as I look back at my own life, um, we, we all have influences of our families. I grew up in a little town in Pennsylvania. 500 people were in this town still today. There's 500 people. I think it's a little less even now. And I had a religious family, so to speak. You know, we talked about religion versus spiritual a few months ago. Uh, and I, they were, they were religious but not spiritual. And I developed my views on life based on what my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters kind of told me to believe as I, as I grew up. I was the youngest of seven kids in, in a, a household that my mom was 42 years old when I was born. And uh, just between you and me in, in this service, I, I think I was my mom's favorite. Uh, I, I, think, I think because I was the baby in her, her last, and Courtney, you can relate to that, yeah. Uh, I was, my siblings didn't like that too much though. They, they kind of knew that as, as I was growing up and I, I didn't do anything to deserve it or not deserve it, but it, it just didn't sit well with them. So they used every opportunity to make sure that I knew my place, that I knew where I stood in life, that I knew that I shouldn't think too much of myself and too highly of myself. And that has, a, uh, that has an impact on you as you, as you grow. I guess it's just normal sibling rivalry, uh, maybe. Uh, and by the way, uh, as an aside here, if you want to read a great story about sibling rivalry, go, go to Genesis chapter 37 and start reading the, the story of Joseph. It goes all the way through chapter 50. It's an awesome story about his brothers and sisters, or brothers being jealous of him and selling him into slavery, but that's, that's another day. We'll talk about that. But it's uh, back, back to my growing up in, in a, a place where I was never taught to dream dreams, to dream anything big. Our, our family experienced things that I, was, I wasn't even allowed to read the Bible as I was growing up. I was not allowed because the church that we went to uh, taught us that we couldn't understand the Bible. We didn't know how to interpret it, so we had to listen and be taught what the Bible had to say. Now, some of that's partly true, but we have... We have the Spirit of God to, to discern what the Bible is telling us, and we shouldn't be prohibited from reading the Bible. So as, as I went through this experience and told that I had to listen to this set of rules, that the church was going to tell me how to live and what to do and, and where I could go and what I, what I could think, for some reason, I, I just wasn't really satisfied with that. I, I didn't think that was really the way I wanted to live my life, so I started reading the Bible in contrast to what I was told to do. I guess I was a disobedient young man, but at 17 years old, I realized that there was a different, there was a different way to live. And there was, a, there was a, a God who was pursuing me. At the end of our service, we're going to talk about a God pursuing us. And, and he pursued me. And, and I started reading the Bible, and I, I read a verse in, this, in, the, in the scripture that talked about I, hating my mother and father and brother and sister, and that if I didn't, I wasn't worthy to follow Christ. And here's, here's what the verse actually says. It's in Luke 14, 26. It's, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, 
Such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, you can imagine how confused I was. And I didn't want to hate my mom and dad. I didn't want to hate my brothers and sisters. And that isn't what the scripture means. It means that our love for God should be our first priority. It should be so great that in comparison, that we, we don't follow what our family says. We don't follow what our mother and father and brothers and sisters tell us, but we look to God and see what he thinks of us and that we want to love him so much and he loves us so much that it, it appears in, in comparison that we hate them. Well, I didn't know any of this stuff and I started to read the Bible. I became fascinated with, with what I was learning because it was a lot of it was contrary to what I'd heard and what I'd been told and the opinions that were out there. So I, I realized that I wanted more evidence of what I was going to believe. If I was going to if I was going to live a life that was worthy of God's calling in my life, I had to find out some more. So I, I, I took a look at all the stories. I started reading uh, as much as I, I could possibly read. And one story that really caught my attention was the story of David. And, and it really does show us how, how David's life was different in God's eyes than in his own family. And, and so a little background before we get into David. If, if you're not familiar with the story of David and how he, he, he became Israel, Israel was the chosen nation that God had chosen to speak through his prophets and to, to give his word to the rest of the world. And so during the process, Israel, the people asked God if they would give him, if he would give them a king, and, and he did. Reluctantly, he did, but but he gave him a king, Saul, and now it became time to pick the next king. So he spoke through his prophet Samuel. And in this, in this passage we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, Samuel was told by God to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint the next king of Israel. So he went and he was really impressed with this first son of Jesse that came out before him. And he was like, oh, this must be the guy. He's so impressive. He's tall, he's handsome, he's rugged. He has all these qualities that a king should have. And here's what God told him. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance. Isn't that so true? We look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Now, how many times have you looked at the outward appearance of people and, and made a judgment before you looked and really understood their heart? Well, God was telling Samuel, no, this isn't the one. Jesse, in verse 10 uh, of that same passage, he had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to him, uh, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, do you have anybody else? Are there any other sons? And he says, yeah, they're still the youngest who's out in, so this was, like, this was like me when I was growing up. He's still the youngest. He's not worth much, but he's out in the field tending the sheep. Well, bring him in, Samuel said. Bring him in, but we won't quit until I see him. In verse 12 of that same passage, he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, the Bible says. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. Wow. Wouldn't that be great to have such clear answer from God as you asked him a prayer? Say, God, what should I do? Do this. Anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, from that day as God chose David, 
the Spirit of God was upon him, and he was anointed as king. Now, can you imagine? Can you just think about this for a second? Think about these brothers who had always been older than David and putting him down, and now each one, one by one, they were rejected as, as the, the future king. And then this, this young guy who was out with the sheep and tending him with his, his sling and his, his taking care of, of, of these sheep in the lowliest position of that, of that time, and, and he was the one that was chosen. David was probably elated. His brothers maybe a little bit more jealous. But here's the, here's the point of that whole story is God, God saw something in David that humans couldn't see. Even his father couldn't see it, but God saw it. And, and the truth is about this that no family, no matter how much they love us, they're not going to be perfect and they're not going to see us through God's eyes. So if you get nothing else out of today, think about what God thinks of you, not what this world thinks about you. We have, we have had times, all of us have had times in our life where we've either been accepted or rejected. Have we not? We've been rejected for jobs, we've been rejected for positions, we've been, we've been accepted for some things, but none of it, none of it is, is our doing. None of it is because we are so deserving or, or so awful that we, we can't uh, be accepted in God's eyes. So here's the difference between the world and what God says. Now, research in the world, I, got, I just got to share a couple of statistics with you, a couple of, of items of research. Some of you may know this, but it says uh, that from birth to eight years of age, it's critical for cognitive, social, emotional, physical development. And during these years, a child's newly developing brain is highly plastic and responsive to change as billions of integrated neural circuits are established through the interaction of genetics, environment, and experience. That's a mouthful, sorry. Um, but it's critical. Those years are critical. We're formed. We we form opinions about ourselves. We form opinions about the world. Our brain is, is infiltrated with experiences. They, the professionals also tell us that, that uh, until you reach the age of 25 years of, of age, your brain is actually not fully developed yet. So anybody in here under 25, yeah, his brain's not fully developed yet. Not, not there. And so if, you're, if you don't feel real smart, if you're under 25, just wait. Your brain will get there. Uh, another, another alarming statistic says that, that our brain requires a stimulating environment, adequate nutrients, social interaction with attentive caregivers, and if we have unsafe conditions, negative interactions, and lack of educational opportunities during the early years of our life, listen to this, it can lead to irreversible outcomes. And the, the Department of Education followed up and said the formative years can expand into secondary education and post-education years too. And so this sounds really scary to a parent. If we don't do things just right as a family, then we're going to ruin our kids. Ever, ever had that fear, uh, guys, as parents? Um, my wife and I have raised six kids, and we now have eight grandchildren, and we're like, man, if we don't do all this stuff right. Well, here's the good news, guys. It, the good news is that with God, nothing is permanent. God can change hearts. God can change brains. God has not rejected you. He's not rejected us. He has a plan for us. And he wants us to be a part of his family. And I, I want to just cover a couple of quick things as, as far as what his family, the difference that it makes, looking at 
what God thinks of us versus what the world thinks of us. Ever looked at what the world and listened to those voices in your head saying, oh, they must think this or they must think that, and you get so depressed and so discouraged. And instead, we need to look at God's family and say, just as, just as David did, David wasn't expecting anything from God, but God saw this potential in him and anointed him as king. God ensured that Samuel looked at every member of Jesse's family, and every family member has value. Every family member in God's family has intrinsic value. We'll look at it, what the psalmist says about that in a minute. So God's church, and we are God's church. We're here as a body of believers to encourage and to anoint one another. You know what the purpose of the church is? It's to prepare one another, to prepare the, 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 the believers for works of service. It's to equip the saints for works of service. And as we, as we look at God's family, we have to feel like we have value, and God wants us to feel that. The psalmist actually wrote that we have been created. He said, for you created my inmost being. Now think about this psalm as, as a praise and an honoring of God. He says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know that you are fearfully wonderfully made today. I, I hope that you believe that. I hope that you can sense that God's value in you makes you a wonderfully designed work of art from God. That's he created you and you are that. The next part of God's family, as we are a work of art, as we, we believe that about him, we have a role to play. In God's family, we have, we have something to do. You know, a lot of times, if, if, we, if we don't have anything to do, we get kind of disinterested. Well, God has a place for us. He has a purpose for each one of us. For David, it was being anointed as king. It was being uh, sitting on the throne as one of his leaders in, in, the, in the country that he had chosen. But he didn't put him on the throne right away. He still had some training to do. So his role at this point, even after he was anointed, was to, to go through some trials, to put through put him through a process that he would be prepared to become a great king. And his role, and here's, here's what his role was. His role was to serve before he ruled. So we, we are in that same role. We, we, we need to serve before God gives us greater responsibilities. But he wants us. He wants us to be a part of that family. He wants us to feel that value. He trusts us with a position. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we, we are God's handiwork. How often do you think of yourself as God's handiwork? I hope you do. I hope you do every day when you look in the mirror and you say, man, I'm God's handiwork. I, am, I have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for me to do. That's what the book of Ephesians tells us. He says, we're his handiwork, prepared to do these things. So in order to do those things, God gives us talents and skills to contribute to that mission. Just like he gave David skills and he anointed him king when nobody else thought he should be king. He didn't have a suit of armor like Paul, like Saul did. He didn't have a big sword. He had a sling and he had some stones that he used to scare the animals away from the sheep with. And when he met most of us would know the story of David slaying the giant Goliath. 
What did he have in his hand when he went to do that? As, as David used those talents and skills that God gave him, he didn't, he didn't try to be somebody else. He went out with this sling and these stones and he slew the giant and, and made a difference for his, his family, for his nation, and, and changed the destiny of the, of the nation of Israel because he was obedient to God to use what he had been given. So I want to ask you the question, what's, what is in your hand? What has God given you? What skills and talents? Not, not looking at other people and saying, oh, I wish I was like them. I wish I had their skills. I wish I could sing like Emily or I, wish I could sing good luck. You know, she, she sings awesome. We aren't, we aren't all meant to, to do what other people do. What's God put into your hand and what has he prepared you to do? Maybe you need to find your gift. We can help you with that. This church is, is set up to, to help you find that. But we, we sometimes think, we think to ourselves we don't have a lot to offer. We think, we, we, get, we get, again, that little voice says, well, you, you can't really do much. You don't have those skills. You're not like this person. You're not like that. I would ask you today to reject that thought, to reject that voice, and to think about what God wants you to do and what he wants to say to this world and do in this world through you. And he can give you that skills. So I, I want to I continue with this, this thought about what God thinks of us. But I, I want to take a, a quick break to take our offering here in a second. And the band is going to come out. And, and they're going to they're gonna do a song that if, if I had... Uh, if I was going to put this into words, I would say exactly what Emily is about to say. But, but since she's going to do a whole lot better job than I can say it, I want her to sing it, and then we'll get, we'll get back in here. So as the offering, as the ushers come forward, um, I, I want you to, uh, if you're new to the church, if you're here for the first time, please let that go right by. Don't even think about giving. We don't need your money. We don't want you to, uh, to feel obligated in any way. We want this to be a gift to you. If you are here as a, a part of our ministry, if you're here as a part of our uh, worship and, and serving of God, then then yes, go ahead and 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 this is your chance to, to do that. As as we uh, continue, and here's here's what I want to encourage you to do before Emily comes, I I, w I want you to encourage you to listen closely, listen closely to these words in this song because. Because they are, they are so powerful. They are so true about God speaking to us and saying the things that he wants us to hear. So I, I invite you to do that as, as she comes and sings.